So just a couple of kind of promo shout-outs before we start. Um, in the, the Life Group booklet that you can grab a copy of in the foyer if you haven't already, Andrew Vella, um, who's our Life Group pastor, has done us a really, really great service by sticking into the appendix um, a lot of kind of easy reference um, things to do with the covenants that God has made and that we're studying along the way. So I'd really commend that to you. Even if you're not in a life group, please grab a copy of the booklet, um, especially for the appendix. Um, and tonight I'm going to be using some graphics uh, that you'll see along the way that I've pinched unashamedly from this little gospel outline called Two Ways to Live. You can also find copies of that in the foyer. If you're a guest, we'd love you to take one of those. If you're a regular, we'd love you to pay for it. Um, this has been really, really helpful to me, actually, in understanding um, the good news of Jesus over time and also explaining it to other people. I can't commend it more highly, so you might like to, to grab a copy of that. Um, I recently changed my will, and I put this line into it. <clears throat> Please ensure the members of my last uni group assignment are my pallbearers because I want them to let me down one last time. And that was a joke, actually. Yeah, I didn't actually change my will, although I do need to update it. Um, I like that joke so much, especially because, sadly, I think it does kind of pull us back into a lot of experiences that we've had, where so much seemed promised, there was so much potential, but they let me down, or I let them down. Um, in the 1987 election, Bob Hawke, I don't know if he was then the Prime Minister or he was wanting to be the Prime Minister, he said this very famous line, um, no child in Australia will be living in poverty by 1990. Massive promise and sadly, of course, it didn't come true. In 1996, um, John Howard, who I think he might have been the then Prime Minister, he said, there will never, ever be a goods and services tax in Australia. Um, big examples of big promises and failure to keep the promise. But that kind of stuff can touch us more personally, can't it? I can remember a situation where um, I had been playing volleyball in the Melrose High School volleyball team, and for sure I was the best player in that team. But I wanted to go to the next level, so I joined the Vikings volleyball team, and for sure I was the worst player. Um, but that was the reason for actually changing clubs. And there, there came a moment where... Um, Someone who was managing the team said to us, right, all of you who've taken tracksuits, you need to pay for them, and if you pay for your tracksuit, you're guaranteed court time. And I thought, perfect. <laughs> this is my opportunity to actually play. And so I paid my money, I wore the tracksuit to the next game, and I didn't play a second. Oh, that was sad, that stung. Public embarrassment, massive great promise fail. But it's bigger than that even, isn't it? Because deep in our spirit, we actually feel that there should be more. And perhaps some of you, you live with the burden of what the Bible describes of having eternity in your heart, but knowing the feeling that you cannot get there, you cannot grab it, that there's something out there. You kind of know that it's there, but you haven't really connected fully with it. And you want it, but you can't get it. We live with this feeling that so much more seemed promised. Now, the good news is this. In a world 
where it seems that the best way to keep your word is not to give it, God gives his word and he keeps it. The big story of God's book is this. God keeps his promise. God keeps covenant. And that's what this whole series is about. What we want is to give everyone a bit of a Bible overview, but in particular, see how God's covenants, like we've kind of had outlined in the video, are his promises that recur and are increasingly fulfilled and then finally fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And personally for me, preparing this talk and actually giving it today has been very, very helpful because in the last couple of days, I think I've started to worry about different things. <laughs> um, concern about whether the people that I know and love, will they be okay? Um, will we have enough money in the future? And it's been really, really helpful to be reminded that what God has said in the past has come true and therefore what God has said about the future is also reliable. <laughs> And what that's done for me is help me to recalibrate and put my, my life in the hands of God for today and for the future and let those worries actually find their place underneath him. Because what was begun at creation and what God sustains every day has been now fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this, that life and blessing in his world, living his way under his word, are possible because he's fulfilled that in the Lord Jesus and we can be part of it by trusting Christ. And that's what we're going to see today and through this series. Please join me and let's pray for God's help as we begin. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we confess our weakness to you. We bring our anxieties and our concerns to you. And we're glad to do it, Father, because you are the God who speaks and creates by his word and fulfills the promises that he makes. Father, please help us to see that afresh tonight and to trust your son, the fulfilment of all your promises. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So covenant. Um, it's pretty simple, really. It's the declaration of one person's will. It's not the result of an agreement between two parties. And when you're talking about a biblical covenant... God issues the declaration of his will, which he bears in mind, and he sticks to what he says. There's an historic kind of way of understanding the type of covenant that we see in the Bible. It's described like this. It's a vassal treaty. It's where the great king, usually the conqueror, says how things are going to work to a minor king, usually the one who's been conquered. And that minor king is the one who needs to honour and show allegiance and submission to the great king. And a bit of a form to these vassal treaties. The great king is introduced. The history of the relationship is rehearsed. There's an emphasis on the great king's attributes. And then there are conditions, curses and blessings for sticking to what the great king says. And that's essentially what we have in Genesis 1 to 3. You don't hear the word covenant in these chapters. So Ian's going to address that more directly from next week onwards, where we do start to hear the word covenant. But what we do have is in Genesis 1 to 3 is covenant that God makes in creation. So covenant in creation. That's the first point that I wanted to make. <clears throat> covenant in creation. 
That's exactly what God sets up as he creates. He's the great king. He's the power over and behind the universe. Adam and then Eve and then people are the minor king. And it's pretty plain, isn't it, why that can be the case. They're established by God because they're actually created by God. It's very, very clear to be the ruler of God's world, but always under God. So this, this first image from Two Ways to Live, I find really helpful. The crown is there to represent God, and you can see that he has created people over the world, but always under him. This is how God has established life to be. And God, speaking through Jeremiah, quite a while after this, speaks of what God has done in creation. And you can see that in Jeremiah 33. We can read that now. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, and that hasn't happened yet, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites, who are priests ministering before me, can be broken, and David will no longer have a descendant to reign on his throne. So just, just there in Jeremiah, we can see how important the theme of covenant is to what God is doing over time, and, and that's why we're studying this series. But he says, in a back reference, what I was doing in that creation was to set up something that was never going to be broken. Here's the strength of the agreement. I've spoken it out. It's been created. It's going to keep going. And guess what? It still has to this very day. And these are some of the things that God said or that we hear about that covenant, about that creation. Let us make so that they may rule. So God created mankind and he said, be fruitful, increase in number, rule over. God saw all that he'd made and it was very good. The heavens and the earth completed. So God makes covenant with creation, just like that picture. God with the crown, people over the world, but always under him. But here's the conclusion of the covenant. Remember, the end of the covenant has the curses and the blessings for breaking or observing the relationship. And here we see it's not a contract that can be torn up. And it's not a contract that he will just abandon. It's much, much bigger than that. And we heard that read for us before, but let's have a glance at it again. Genesis chapter 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So really, really clear, really purposeful. Takes the man, puts him in a place, gives him a task. Be blessed by eating any tree. And I, I've loved the way actually Ian has put this in the past. There are just millions of trees out there. This thing is so abundant. <laughs> just get out there. Work it, care for it, use it. But be cursed to death if eating from the knowledge tree. Really clear. And I just want to kind of emphasize what we, what we see at this point when God is saying this. This whole thing depends on and is governed by God's perfect knowledge of good and evil and how to perfectly control it. 
And this whole thing depends on and is governed by his knowledge that when they know good and evil, they will not be able to control it. It will blow their minds. It will destroy them. Because only he has the capacity to understand good and evil and manage it and control it. They might be able to know it, but they will never be able to manage it or control it. And so here's the covenant in creation. God says, I speak it into existence. I'll tell you how it works. Live under my rule and leave the knowledge and the management of good and evil to me. And I don't know how long it lasted, but we, we see in a moment that Adam did that for a little while. He got on with it. God provided what he needed. And Adam, Adam himself was a covenant man for a moment. Did you hear that and what he says about his wife? Thank you. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. See what he does? He speaks over the woman, to the woman, to be united to the woman. It's exactly what God has done to him and how beautiful this is. It's a moment that's described as complete intimacy, complete revelation, no shame. Fantastic. So good. Just in that little snapshot of time, that little snapshot of a window, it's going really, really well. So what does that mean for, what does it mean for us before we go on? Well, three things that I, I've reflected on. First of all, you're in it. You are in this. This is the world that God has made. The life you have is the life that he's given you. You are in his world. Um, I think this has struck me most when thinking about a, a really clear moment in Abraham's experience. God says to Abraham, look, Abraham, come out of your tent and have a look at all the stars in the night sky. And it's a bit of an object lesson. Try and count these if you can. Your future, the future of your family, looks to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. But there's another thing going on, I think, in that moment. God says, come out into the world that I have made. Come out into my studio. Come out into the world that I still sustain. This is the bedrock of what you can expect in the future. Because my word made this, you're in it. You can count on me. So people, you are in this thing. This might be describing the origins, but it describes the continuation as well. You're in it. Secondly, you're dependent. We love to think of ourselves as independent. And in fact, we're raised actually to take some initiative and make decisions for ourselves. But if we listen too much to that, we can start thinking, I'm the boss of me. But instead, what we're being reminded of here is, no, no, it's God's word and it's his world and it's his way and we depend on him. But lastly, you're affected by what God does. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, maybe listening to sometimes by mistake Parliament on the radio or seeing some kind of news reporting about what politicians are doing and saying, you think, ah, that's just nonsense. It doesn't affect me. It's all hot air. But I remember going to um, the Senate one time and uh, the, 
whatever, whatever the official description of uh, what was going on, I'm not sure, but Pauline Hansen got up to make a speech. She was excellent. I was absolutely surprised. She spoke very clearly and very, very well about the price of milk that dairy farmers in Queensland were receiving for the milk that they were producing. And I thought to myself, this is actually real life. And then what these people think and do and say and decide in this place actually comes down the pipe to me. <laughs> What's going on here in what God is describing affects you and it affects me. We're in it. It's his world. It's his way. He makes this covenant in creation. But then what we find is that there is a broken covenant and a broken creation. The covenant is actually turned upside down. Let me just describe that to you. The serpent leads and rules the woman. The woman leads and rules the man who allows himself to be led and ruled that way. He permits it. He actually abdicates his responsibility as the minor king. And then humanity leads and rules over God's word, takes over the management of the knowledge of good and evil as they decide. And this graphic kind of sums it up well. Humanity steps out of that relationship with God, kind of crosses out God's authority and crown and says, I'm the boss. The covenant is broken. Creation is broken. But the conditions of the covenant are applied because the covenant is never broken from God to humanity. And I'm sorry to have to read these next verses. I'm reading from chapter 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said... I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It's why we're in this mess. It's why the world functions the way that it does. Because the decision of humanity to say no to God does not change anything about the nature of God. The decision of humanity to step outside that relationship does not change God's relationship to the world and humanity. God is still God. He still rules. It's his word and it's his way. And that's why we do live this life thinking there's a beautiful garden out there somewhere, but I just can't get into it because we're actually living outside the garden. That's why we do live now thinking that there is life that should go on and on and on, but my life is characterized by death and the ill effects of sin as I get closer and closer to death. But here's a really kind of positive reflection for us all in this moment. God's judgment actually shows that his word still works. 
That's a really good thing in the midst of a tragic moment. His word is still powerful to do what he says it will do. It fulfills the covenant in cursing. He rules. So let me, let me give you a bit of a lighthearted example. What do I mean? Um, an atheist was walking through the forest and marvelling at the wonders of everything that the accident of the Big Bang had made. Look at those beautiful mountains. Look at the beautiful river. Look at this marvellous forest. And as he was walking along, suddenly he hears this massive great crash behind him out of the forest. And he turns to see that it's a big grizzly bear that is starting to chase him down. And he starts to run for his life. And as he runs, the effort is just causing him to sweat and it's streaming off him. But he can hear the big boom, boom, boom of the bear chasing him down and getting closer and closer. And suddenly what he does is, is turn to see how close the bear actually is. And as he does this, he falls and he can see the bear just about to be poised over him and grab him. And he cries out, oh my God. And at that moment, a great light appears above him. The breeze stops blowing, the river stops flowing, the sounds of the forest are still, and the bear is frozen there, poised above him. And a voice comes out of the light and says, After all these years of denying my existence, now you call out for my help. And the atheist thinks to himself, Yes, I guess that is a bit hypocritical. Well, how about this? Make the bear a Christian. And the voice says, Very well. The light disappears, the river starts flowing, the breeze blows again and the sounds of the forest return and the, and the grizzly snaps back to life. He bows his head, puts his paws together and says, for what I'm about to receive, may the Lord make me truly thankful. <laughs> so just so you don't go away from this talk, only remembering the joke, here's the point. It doesn't matter what humans do, it doesn't change God's authority over this world. He rules. It works in his way, not ours, because God keeps his promise. And that brings us to my final point, but the really excellent news, the announcement of the seed of the new covenant. God keeps his promise. And we, we see it in two ways. First of all, and, and just really, really briefly, God covers the humans, <laughs> Right? He, he banishes them from the garden, but he doesn't abandon them. But the second thing is what I want to focus on more, the seed of the new covenant. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And he's speaking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So you're going to be enemies. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So some people call this little snippet of the back half of verse 15 the proto-evangelion. It's, it's the pre-good news. It's, it's the first kind of sliver of announcement of the gospel because it's the promise of the snake crusher. While struck... The, the snake crusher is going to silence Satan. So from this point on in the Bible, we're looking for the fulfillment of this promise. We are watching and waiting for the son of Eve, the seed, the offspring. Will it be Noah? Yep. 
And no, not completely. Will it be Abraham? Yep. And no, not completely. Will it be Moses and Israel? Yep. And no, not completely. Will it be David? Yep. And no, not completely. They're all just little snippets and little foreshadowing of the fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. Then in he comes, the fulfillment of God's promise, the author and the creator of the new covenant, the true Adam, the son of Eve, who doesn't listen to Satan, who submits himself to his father and takes the curse for us, death for sin, judgment for rebellion. I love this next graphic for this reason. Sorry, I think we've gone ahead too far. Yes. The J for Jesus, just so we're sure. Always living in obedience to his father. And actually powerful over the world. And my phone. Over demons, over death, over disease, over nature. But what he does is he puts that power at God's disposal and serves us. And that's why in this graphic, you've got the arms extended. So before I conclude, I just wanted to flick through a few New Testament passages that help us understand how Jesus really is what Adam never was able to be and how in being that, he served us. So if you're looking in your Bibles or taking notes, I'm just going to just mention briefly where I'm reading from, then I'm going to read. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples about what it really means to be a disciple. For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Philippians chapter 2, I'm reading from verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, just like Adam. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hebrews chapter 2 from verse 14. Hebrews 2, 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He is the one who crushes Satan. And finally, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John 3, verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Um, it's this Jesus who says at the Last Supper with his disciples the night before he is about to be tried and tortured and crucified, he says this, this is my blood of the new covenant, as he talks about that Passover meal, but what he's talking about is what's going to happen at the cross. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out 
for many. He completely undoes what Adam has done and what we've inherited and what we do. God keeps covenant by fulfilling his promise in the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed fully grown. So I started the talk by reflecting on that we live our lives so often feeling like something more seemed promised. Well, now that something more has actually come and we can have it. But here's my question for you because it's been my question, like I mentioned over the last couple of days, where do you place your confidence? Because our anxiety actually reveals what we're trusting in. That our children might be safe and successful. That there might be enough money in the bank. That my work might go well. That people might like me. Fill in the blank. But I've, I've been rebuked and I've been really encouraged, like I shared before. The Lord is good for his promise. And ultimately that promise means that we can be forgiven, we can have life connected with him through Jesus Christ, the one who fulfills his promises. And so when I remember that, I know that my eternity is taken care of, which affects how I live today, and I can have confidence actually that he's powerful enough to do what he says he will do as I trust in him. And then I put everything else reordered under that. So that's been a really, really practical impact for me over the last couple of days as I've thought about this, and it's just so wonderful, isn't it? Trusting in Christ, in him bringing the order back into this world and lasting joy to all who trust in him. God keeps his promise, and that's what we're going to keep seeing. So if this series sounds like a broken record, that's probably a sign of success, <laughs> that we are saying actually what God keeps saying. But the challenge for us is, will we believe it? And so we, will we let our confidence actually be in Jesus? Or is it elsewhere? Please join me in prayer now, and I'm going to pray about that for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful that you keep your promise. We thank you, Father, that you began this in creation. You sustain it right to this very moment through your covenant with the day and with the night and the way this whole world works and that you've brought it to fulfilment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we bring you ourselves. Please minister to us where we are tonight. We ask, Father, you'd help us to be seeing what we are trusting in and what brings us anxiety, and, and correct that, change that, Lord God, so that we might put our trust in you, the one who is so good to his promise for today, for tomorrow and eternity. And help us be people who live confidently, knowing that you have our best interests at heart. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.